When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So, Tommy, what was it like driving 155 miles an hour in a Mini on the Autobahn? I don't know. I didn't drive that fast. Oh, that's right. It was me. Yes. (laughs) Hey, guys. Today, we are going to be talking about a recent trip that Tommy and I took uh, to Germany where we actually got to go watch... A pretty epic race. What race was that, Tommy? Well, we saw the 24 hours at the Nürburgring, which was really incredible. We were a, a guest of Mini there, but we also got to drive some of the latest M cars in Germany, which is very, very cool. But that's not all we're talking about in this podcast, because we're also talking about the Ford dealership experience. We're talking about seventh generation Mustangs, a little bit of SEMA news, and uh, a little bit of uh, arguing thrown in in the mix. Yeah, you know, me and Tommy sometimes uh, do like to argue about, well, my curmunginess. Everything is what we argue about. (laughs) And his uh, over youthfulness. (laughs) So I suspect there'll be a little bit of that. And if you don't like that, well, I'm going to say there's a lot of podcasts where people don't argue, so go check them out. Like my friend Nicole over at Wheel Bearings. Welcome to TFL Talk, the official podcast of TFL Studios, where we talk about the best, and yes, even sometimes the worst new cars. We talk about the coolest and sometimes the least uncool old cars. And of course, we give you an insider's view of all things automotive. And hopefully we do it having fun and sometimes arguing. So if you're driving, keep driving. And if you're not, why not? So Tommy, shall we talk about driving on the Autobahn first? Because let's face it, that is an automotive bucket list thing you have to do and we have to thank Mini for that. Yeah, so we were in Germany for about a week or so and they lent us a Mini Clubman John Cooper Works, which is the the kind of long roof station wagon designed Mini. And very cool, it's a high performance model so we got to do some zipping along on the unrestricted portion of the Autobahn. It's, it's actually more than that. Uh, ironically, it might be the fastest Mini they build, a Clubman Mini station wagon, the fastest Mini they built. How crazy is that? So if you look at top speed-wise, it's not quite the fastest because the GP, which is the track-going one, is like 10 miles an hour quicker on the top end. But it is the quickest accelerating Mini. So under five seconds from zero to 60 out of a 300-horsepower turbocharged four-cylinder and all-wheel drive. So this is a little pocket rocket if there ever was one. And it's an absolute blast to drive. Really is a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's uh, because, well, let's face it, uh, Mini was purchased by BMW now decades ago. uh, And so the power plant is straight out of a BMW. Right. 
2-liter four-cylinder turbo with over 300 horsepower. It's like 305, I want to say, or maybe it's 301. It's, it's somewhere right around 300. And it's mated to an all-four all-wheel drive system and an automatic transmission, which just rips off the shifts. So when you get on this thing, it's a, still a pretty small car. I mean, it's like Volkswagen Golf-sized. It just shoots down into the horizon. Yeah, we had quite the week. Uh, we were there for... Uh, the Daytona of Germany. Would you, would you think that's fair to say that? Well, I think that's probably a pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, so the 24 Hours of Nürburgring, of course, is a endurance race where they race around the legendary Nordschleife, which is... 14 miles of craziness. Yeah, for 24 hours straight. And the cool thing is you have teams from all sorts of different backgrounds, from all sorts of different speed ratings and budgets. How, how many cars were racing? It was like right around 140 cars, I want to wow, say. Wow, that is a lot of cars. And this was the first time that Mini has raced at this race in a number of years. So they had a, a, a team they were supporting called Bulldog Racing, and they had a bright red Mini Cooper that they were racing in the 24 hours at the ring. So they wanted to kind of show us what it was all about. Yeah, it's crazy. So. Um a lot of drunk Germans, Tommy. Well, a lot I, of yes. drunk German dudes drinking a lot of beer, uh, listening to a lot of German techno. So we actually got to walk around maybe like, what would you say, three or four K of the track. Uh, and it's just surrounded. Like if you've been to Indy and you've been in the infield or if you've been to Daytona and you've been in the infield, you'll probably understand what this is like, right? It's a bunch of guys and some girls who uh, are using it as a weekend of free for all partying. And this is exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it pretty much is like a NASCAR race. It's just in um, the scene of Alice in Wonderland. It's this incredible, beautiful German forest. But yeah, I mean, and, it's... And they build these incredible structures next to the track, right? Yeah, so they're like these two-story uh, German discos that they build. And there's pools and hot tubs that they just erect out of whatever, and there's out like... Out of twigs and stones. Makeshift bars and dance <laughs> floors. And yeah, I mean, it's just a, basically a 24-hour party, and people show up days ahead of time to, to get a spot, and there's like 100,000 people that show up for this race. And you, and you found this bucolic forest that you were filming. What happened there? Well, there's a guy peeing in it, but it <laughs> was course. a beautiful forest. <laughs> At least so I thought. But very, very cool. And I, I got to kiss a German dude. <laughs> Remember, we are walking by one of these, like, structures, uh, and this guy is there with a weird face mask. What was a mask? Remember? No it was idea. like this mask. It was like and a Viking mask. Viking mask. And there's this girl, he looks at me, and in German he says, kiss me or get shot. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of forgot about COVID, and I'm like, ah, screw it. I'll just kiss him. So I kissed a German dude after, like, 15 other German dudes had already well, kissed it him. Was, you should, well, she had a squirt you gun. You should clarify. Yes, it was a squirt gun. <laughs> this is not the start of some, like, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. weird German um, sex thing. But it was, it was very, very weird. <laughs> yeah, it was like you had to kiss this guy to pass to the next corner. But it was an amazing experience because the cars race all night long. So it's not just a couple of hours and then it's done. Uh, it, the race started at, like, 4 p.m., and then, you know, people it's like, are It's out. like Le Mans, but with a German twist. Yeah, people are out, you know, having fun all night long and then into the morning and then into the next day. And, you know, the, the track is built into a very hilly area of Germany. Uh, and so we had to go up and down hills, traverse giant piles of empty beer bottles <laughs> and schnapps bottles. And, uh, you know, it was just a really cool scene. And we actually got to go uh, into the pits so you could walk around and see, you know, all the 
pre-partying uh, that was happening and preparations for the race. And the really cool thing about the race, Tommy, is it's all kinds of cars. It's not like a Formula One race, right, where there's teams that are basically racing the same car or same thing with NASCAR, right, where they're racing the same car. But because you've got a track that's 14 miles long, you've got everything from, you know, these German touring cars, uh, which are like, you know, full-on Porsche GT3 race prep vehicles, all the way to a Dacia. Can you believe that? There was a Dacia that was racing. Yep, and then you have different budgets for all the teams. And when you have 140 cars, right, like there's a, a lot of carnage which ends up happening. So yeah, it's a well, very... A lot of closing speed. A <laughs> lot, of, lot of very entertaining action going on during the race. But it was incredible. Mini had set up this really cool camp for us built out of like old shipping containers. So they, they created this little, uh, down one of the back straights, this little compound that had, I think, 40 of these containers, which were outfitted with beds. And then in the middle, there was like a food tent and a little viewing area. And it was a beautiful setup that they had going on. They were really excited to be back at the 24 hours at the Nurburg in a Mini Cooper, uh, a race prepped John Cooper works. Yeah, the problem with uh, their car was that it didn't last that many laps, did it? Well, they kept getting run into, and they got run into twice by the same driver, <laughs> which was just very unfortunate. But it's one of the challenges of the Nürburgring is you've got so many different speed levels, so many different vehicles at the same time. I think there's a lot of bumping that takes place. Yeah. And well, you got cars closing at like 100 miles an hour, that you know, difference in top speeds. Yep, and then, um, yeah, so they, they, got, they got knocked out, I think, on lap one. Uh, they were able to fix what was causing the the, uh, the, the problem, and then they went out uh, again in the nights, but then they got knocked out again on, like, lap 19. And they said they could have fixed that problem too, but um, it, it would have not made sense for the because it was such so deep in, in the internals of the vehicle. Yeah, and apparently uh, a Mini has a lot of complicated and sophisticated parts that are very close to the f skin of the car, so if you get bumped, things break that are important to keep racing, which who would have thunk? A Mini has a lot of stuff stuffed under the hood. What I liked about it, though, is it wasn't like a shell of a race car with um, nothing related to the production model, like kind of like the Dakar. No, no, it was a, it was a full-on Mini. Yeah, so it had like standard bodywork. It had the standard dashboard with the interior, uh, with like the, the gauge cluster hey, and the can, dials. Can I whisper you a secret? And uh, it didn't have a interior, but it did have like a giant fuel tank in the back, and it was very cool. Okay, whisper a secret? Sure. It was a GP. It was not a GP. It was a GP. It was not a GP. He doesn't want to admit it, but it was a GP. They had the engine out of an all four uh, countryman, yeah. or clubman, excuse me. So same engine that we were driving. What, what color was under the red? I don't know. You saw it. Come on. I didn't. I didn't see what color was under the red. It was a GP color. It was a two-door mini hardtop GP. with GP wheels and a GP front bumper. Interpret that as you will, but they they swear it was not a GP. And it's the folks at BMW Mini swear that you got to listen to them to some extent. All right. All right. Well, one other thing before we move on, uh, there was a really epic crash. <laughs> <laughs> that we can need to talk about, which was one of those uh, KTM's, right? They did the what was it? The I think it was the Crossbow or the Expo. Yeah, the, um, the next the, like the the race car version. But yeah, it was racing along, and then it caught on fire, so it pulled over, and the well, fire as cars do. Yeah, fire team pulled up, started to spray it out. Driver got out of the up, car, yep. and then the car started to roll down a hill <laughs> while it was on fire. And made its way on the background of the track. Yeah, it was um, racing on fire with no driver. Yes, and then it hit a wall at like 20 miles an hour or something, and that was the end of it. So they probably could have saved it had it not rolled down onto the track while it was on fire. But at that point, they were like chasing after it with hoses, and it was a, it was that was a mess. 
But there were a couple of really big crashes, as you'd expect for an endurance race. Spectacular and entertaining because nobody was hurt. Yeah, it was yeah successful there. Um, and it's cool, too, because you've got a lot of different vehicles competing from BMW to Mercedes to um, Audi to Porsche, of course, had tons of cars. And some of these cars were backed by the actual manufacturers. A lot of them were just privateer teams. And then, of course, you had the little Dacia team, which was in this, this like, a, it's a Romanian company racing this little itty-bitty uh, sedan called the Logan, which is just, like, the, the goofiest thing. But it was so fun to watch Dude, it. And there was somebody was racing a Mark II GTI. Yeah, there was a couple of old <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it was a very, very cool race. And it's a big deal, not so much here in the States, but certainly in Germany. It must be the biggest. It's like the India of Germany. It's like a big staple yeah. event for them. Yeah, so there were thousands of people everywhere and huge traffic, but a great time. And then, of course, the, the really uh, cool part for us was that BMW has their performance center there. Basically, they have uh, a center there where their engineers go and during production days on the ring, Production days are for producers of cars, right? Manufacturers. They test the cars. And they have every, I think they had every M car. And they just let us loose. They said we could drive, not on the race track, but, you know, around uh, the area there. with Beautiful roads. Any of the M cars. So we drove the M3 competition. We drove the brand new M8 competition. Yep. And then we also drove the electric, all electric IX M60, which is the uh, crossover SUV with over 800 pound feet of torque. So that was cool too, because you can drive around the beautiful forest roads in that area and these high performance BMW cars. And that's where they also do development on the, the Nürburgring. As, along with Porsche and Mercedes, and they all had their facilities there. Yeah, and I was—I uh, actually have to say um, I was wrong about the M3 competition because when I got to drive it initially, we went on a program with BMW to uh, um, Palm Springs uh, to uh, what's the racetrack they're called? Thermal. Thermal. Thermal, and uh, uh, you loved it because it had the competition seats, which are basically these carbon fiber seats that have like an inset where your family jewels usually go, and I, I hated them immediately. But then when I got behind the wheel and got to drive it on some twisty German roads, I started to understand why those seats are so cool, especially uh, since that car is a very high-performance model, uh, and it's just a hoot. Yep. Um, and then we also drove the M8 competition, the Grand Coupe, yeah. which is the big four-door kind of Grand Tour, also with those insane carbon buckets. But that, that one I didn't get because, look, that's a Grand Tour, right? The M3 is definitely uh, a performance car you know, that's track-tuned uh, and meant to go uh, on a racetrack. I'm not so sure about the M8, right? That is a Grand Tour where you probably want to devour large chunks of kilometers at a single bound. And to be strapped into those carbon fiber seats is a little bit cruel for that long, I think. Sure. For me, at least. Maybe not for you. How, how, what do you think? Um, I agree. And then we also drove the IX, which is the electric crossover. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that one. That one's kind of the most interesting. And that was certainly the most groundbreaking. So that's the um, ground up. Uh, vehicle to compete with like the Tesla Model X that BMW makes. Uh, if the M60, you're looking at well over $100,000 for this vehicle. But it was an insanely refined experience with this very spaceship-like airy cockpit and uh, lots of open space and these white seats and, you know, um, just, just crazy things in the soundtrack composed by Hans Zimmer and it was specifically tuned for the M version. And I mean, it was a magnificent... When you say soundtrack, you mean the electric motor right, yeah. has an artificial enhancement that but makes also, it sound like a, you, a, a land skimmer. You have to consider, too, when you start the car up, it goes like... It does all these cool 
sounds. I like that. Oh, whoosh, 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 whoosh. Yep, and then um, you even got that reverb. That was pretty good. And then all of like the little buttons to kind of make noises, and apparently those were very well orchestrated. So, so my takeaway from driving those three back to back was just how insanely quick electric cars are because we're driving two of the quickest BMWs. And, of course, the difference between fast and quick is, and this is an automotive journalist thing, but every time I say it wrong, I'm always struggling with this, right? Because quick is 0 to 60, it's acceleration, fast is top speed. But yet most everybody in the vernacular just says fastest. Which is fine. Right, they don't mean top speed, they mean accelerating. I'm good with it. So let's talk about quickest, all right? So I was just... Impressed by how quick that family iX is compared to the two super high performance you know highest performance BMWs in some ways ever built because with the internal combustion engine cars you have turbo lag so when you just floor it there's a little bit of time not a lot before the turbos kick in uh, and that electric car is just just you know just slams your head into the back of the headrest you know and blood rushes out of your head into your brain you get tunnel vision uh and you know the performance is staggering if an, if an ice car did that everybody would be over the moon but since it's an electric car everybody's like poo-pooing it because it's electric but if you just take it for the performance of a family you know roadster it's pretty staggering Cool. Uh, <laughs> don't you have anything to add to that? Well, you, you went all esoteric. I mean, what do you want to say? It's insanely fast. And well, I, I, I think you'd say something like, and this is where we argue, of course, where you'd be like, yeah, but take it around the corner. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I don't know what else. You, you phrased it so eloquently. Oh, thank you. I have nothing else to add. No, what I want to add is that it rides like a, a couch, so it's very soft. Um, I'm not going to use any of your crazy metaphors because I do not have the brain capacity to come up with them, but it's like a very uh, cushy and soft ride. I thought it rides much better than a Tesla Model X. Um, I thought it's a little bit more kind of engaging, believe it or not, than the e-tron in some ways. But it felt like a bank fault going down the road, which is exactly what you want out of your luxury SUV. It's got an enormous battery. Uh, I think the range is like 270-something miles because this is the M60 with the big wheels and all the power. It's got the same, what is it? It's the same front motor as a standard iX, but a beefed up rear motor, if I remember right. And it has an overboost function as well. But yeah, I think BMW has a major winner on their hands with the iX. It kind of took the greatest hits of the i3, which was a groundbreaking city car from 2014, and then wrapped it into a more cohesive um, and a better integrated package for longer trips. Now, see, this is where I get a little confused because to me, like BMW is out there trying to figure out which bed is right, like in the Goldilocks, right? So the i3 was this little city car that was, you know, made of a carbon fiber composite. The i8 was this hybrid that had uh, a three-cylinder that looked like something out of the future. Uh, and now they come out with something that, like you've said, you know, a driving couch, right? It's it's basically the closest you're going to get to it in terms of design and style is maybe an X7, Right, and it feels like it. It doesn't. It, I don't understand how where or how it fits into the brand. If it, it almost feels like, hey, we tried these two really cutting edge, unique cars, and they didn't sell. Which let's face it, they didn't sell right in the numbers that BMW wanted it. So let's do an SUV and let's make it electric. Uh, but it doesn't seem to organically come out of the brand. Whereas for me, like the uh, i4 M50 that we recently uh, tested. 
makes a lot more uh, continuity sense from a BMW brand and DNA perspective. I think the i3 did pretty well for BMW. Yeah. It was a, a really... I think they sold 200,000 units over like five years. And you have to look at also global sales. I mean, it's not no, just I, I mean US. globally. Yeah, they, they did pretty well globally with the i3. I think that I like the approach that BMW is doing with this new EV plan because if you want, like you said, the BMW driving experience and the BMW feel and the conventional uh, BMW... Um, vibe, go for the i4, right? It feels like a 4 Series Grand Coupe, which is to say it drives incredibly. It's very nice and tight and taut, uh, and it's nothing out of the ordinary. But if you want the spaceship that has no center console, right, and has this, like, jewel controls, get the iX. Let me give you a a point where I'm confused, okay? Now, we drove the, um, it's up there right now, the M3, and we drove the M8, right? And the first thing we did in those videos was what, Tommy? First thing that we did action-wise, we opened up the hood and looked under the hood. Sure. Right? Just to see what the what the heart of the beast is, right? With the um, IX, you can't open up the hood. It's like it's like it's like it's like a completely different company. We've decided that whatever's under here you don't need to see, all right? Or whatever's under here isn't interesting enough or isn't practical enough for you to look at, so you can't open it up. In fact, if you want to fill washer fluid in, the little BMW logo on the front serves as uh, the washer fluid uh, receptacle. So that's where you pour it into. Can you open the hood on the i4? I don't remember what was underneath there. Uh, yeah, I think you can't open them. I think we did it. It was a big air. Um, remember, it, we opened the hood on the i4, and there was a big uh, air intake on it that would had that had some leaves in it. Remember? Yeah, there's nothing to see though. It's just a cover. But but you see the well, what I'm talking <laughs> about in terms of like it's it's not about what there's to see. It's in terms of like what the DNA of the brand is, right? BMW is a performance brand, and that has always been based on. The power plant, right? Yeah, but you can't see the power plant. All it says is BMWi. It's just a black piece of plastic. If you could see like the motor and the wires, and I mean, I think there'd be a cool way. This would be a great thing for a manufacturer to do. Uh, come up with a way to actually see the components in a manner that's just not scary looking orange wires. I mean, if you could like encase the electric motor with like a plexiglass cover so you could see the internal workings, that would be cool. Right, but I'm, this I'm, isn't I'm, cool. I'm, this is just I'm a black give cover. You, I'm going to give you an analogy and I'm going to use a watch as an analogy because everybody now is talking about watches. Watches are like super hot, right? So imagine if Rolex decided that the Neg Submariner, it wasn't important for you to see the, the face of it, right? The beautiful face of it. Because that's what always was the Submariner, right? It has this beautiful face. It had it had this interesting like design. But that's not important for us anymore. All we're going to show you is the depth that you're at. It, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, you, I don't you, understand that reference at all. No, but what do you mean? <laughs> I don't understand watches. I don't know what no, a Submariner no, I mean, I mean, means. I mean, I mean, I mean, part of the mystique of, of the Rolex is this beautiful face, right? All the intricacies. And that's what makes it cool. That's what speaks to the heart of it. So, I mean, the, the, the Submariner was this cool Rolex that you could take to like... 50 million feet below the ocean and it would keep telling you time and it wouldn't get water in it, right? Uh, and part of the charm of the watch was, or the Daytona, let's use it, let's use the Daytona, right? It had the Daytona logo on it and so it represented what that watch meant to the racing industry and the way that BMW power plant represents what it means to the car. And all of a sudden, the next Daytona comes out with just two hands and a bunch of numbers on it. I don't understand. Why would you do that? But this doesn't tell me anything about how the BMW is made. Or I mean, the issue is I. it would be really cool if you opened up this hood and it showed you the intricate electronics and presented them in a nice way. Um, but this just shows me a piece of Tupperware. I don't need to see this. 
I don't know well, what I think this that's, is. That's what the engineer would say. But I would say that the well, BMW... Well, so make it look good. I mean, if it was, like I said, I mean, if you could see, like, copper connections and if you could see, like, of this beautiful... Yeah, I agree. Make it this, look good. This is not... I'd rather see nothing than right. see this so That's what BMW thing. should have done. They should have, they should have made it look good. Well, so they, far, no manufacturer's done that. So, maybe going forward... Uh, no, no, that's not true. With an electric car? Yeah, there's cars that they have tried to make it look interesting. So, I remember the Fisker... <laughs> you couldn't see anything. The Fisker, so, yeah, the the Fisker Fis- had this this view cover inside the vehicle. Where but you could I'm see not saying it was it was an excess, it was a successful attempt, but it was an attempt so to show you. There was this little clear uh, a panel in the that Fisker showed the car battery where you could see the battery, but all it showed you was this stainless steel plate, and and you couldn't see anything else. It was just a piece of stainless steel from the top. But of you the said there was nobody who's done it. I'm, I'm giving you an example. Yeah, but they did it, and it wasn't under the hood. It was in the car. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty bad attempt. Um, Anyways, it'd be really cool. I think there's an opportunity there. There's ways to make engines look beautiful by, sh- by you know. But you see, I think my point was uh, I don't understand why that car uh, harkens to the BMW. I think, uh, look, I was just listening to a really fun podcast that uh, um, Eddie Alterman did. He used to be the, uh, it's called The Car Show, right? He used to be the editor of Car and Driver, and he talked about what the mystique of Jeep Jeep is right. It harkens back to the first world, second world war, which is like the the cleanest, best war for America because it was black and white. Right, we were the good guys, the Nazis were the bad guys. Yada yada yada. All these subsequent wars were all gray. Uh, and he said the reason that the Jeep sells so well is because there's like a little toy soldier in every one of us that wants to, you know, be proud of being an American. And the Jeep brand, especially in the Wrangler, really harkens back to that moment in time. And, and and to me, the iX doesn't harken back to anything. And maybe that's good. Maybe you can use it as a clean break from the current set of cars. But I just feel like it needs it needs to harken back to something that's more BMW than just a hood that doesn't open. So let's keep going with our kind of description of the trip. Yeah. So uh, once we left the Nürburgring, we actually spent over 2,000 miles in this mini Clubman. And I do want to talk about the Clubman for a little bit because it's an interesting model. The Clubman is a vehicle which does not sell super well. Well, it's a mini station wagon in America, and people don't people like, don't like station wagon. Mini, not the brand, but small. People don't like small, and they don't like station wagons. And um, it, it's nice because it gives you uh, kind of the, the the look and the feel of the mini hardtop, but it gives you a lot more usable length. So you've got four real doors with the real back seats. You've got this pretty sizable trunk with these crazy barn doors that open up left and right. And it gives you a good long look. And the handling dynamics of this car were amazing. So like you said, we could be going down the Autobahn at 120 miles an hour, and it would be stuck like glue, even on some of the tight turns. It didn't feel twitchy. It felt super neutral and very composed. But yet, when you got it on like the German back roads, or we went and visited uh, family outside of Prague, you could get it through these little mountain roads, and it was just beautifully sized. Really a great car. Now, the John Cooper Works model is the highest performance version, and it does have a very firm suspension. In Europe, the roads are so good that it felt perfect. I think if you brought that thing to Michigan, let me, or, let me say in Germany, the roads, the Czech yeah, but roads even are. they were pretty good too. But you bring that thing to Michigan or even Colorado here, we have some of these big potholes, and that thing would be pretty miserable pretty quickly. But uh, for back roads, for blasting around um, and having fun, that thing was awesome. Can I give you my top three observations from the trip? You don't have to ask me all these questions, well, Dad. I, I, would, I wanna, might suggest just I'm, giving them I'm, out. I'm, it's, it's a segue. It's, I'm doing a transition here. <laughs> you keep asking my permission right. for stuff. I would just say you can, uh, all right. you here, can here take the, the liberty and say it. All right. Here are the top three observations. First and foremost, um, having listened to a bunch of podcasts and 
watched a bunch of videos. It seemed like Europe was way ahead of America uh, with EV adoption. I think I saw a total of four EVs in Germany in the week that we were there. I, I, there are no EVs in Germany, as far as I can tell. Well, so Tons of chargers, but no EVs. We did see a couple of Teslas. I think we probably saw three or four Teslas, right. which is about three minutes of driving here in Denver, Colorado. I, I went grocery shopping yeah. uh, at our local supermarket. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were two Model S's, yeah. two Model Ys, and a Fiat 500e. That was more electric cars at the supermarket here in Boulder than I saw probably in three days of driving on the Autobahn. I did see talk to some interesting folks at the Nürburgring, which was pretty cool to get their impressions on Tesla. Yeah. And the general consensus is they do cool technology products that are very poorly made. So they have this kind of reputation for being half thrown together. And certainly there's a lot of kind of national pride in the car industry in Germany, and that could be part of it. But yeah, very few Teslas. And I thought I'd see like a lot of ID4s from Volkswagen, ID3, e-trons. I maybe saw two or three in the, the four days that we were in Germany. And Even in the cities, they just, you don't see them anyway. I saw an EV6, a Kia EV6 taxi. Yep. That was cool. I did see actually the most EVs I saw was the Hyundai Ionic 5. Yeah, more Ionic 5s. So than probably saw six or seven Ionic 5s on our trip. We saw, we saw, we went stopped at a lot of Autobahn uh, rest stops. Yep. Uh, and I saw a lot of chargers and only one Polestar charging on all those stops. That was pretty wild. The That's infrastructure true. is great. Yeah, they have tons of fast charging infrastructure and it's everywhere. But we just didn't see many, even from the European only EVs like the, the Renault Zoe. Um, the Cody, uh, the um, Cody Heck, the Škoda Enyaq, um, didn't see many of those. I mean, it's incredible how dominant the gasoline vehicle is still in Germany and in the Czech Republic. The same thing. We maybe saw a couple more, but it was so rare. Yeah, it's weird. So uh, that was my biggest takeaway. I thought maybe it's Norway because Norway has like fifty percent. Oh, I bet. Yeah. You know, uh, new cars or maybe even higher than that. But Germany has a long way to go before. Uh, you see a lot of electric vehicles on the road. So what were number two and three takeaways? Uh, number two, uh, this is interesting, uh, the, the, the drivers in Germany, especially on the Autobahn, uh, have incredible lane discipline. Yeah. Uh, and the drivers in the Czech Republic uh, have horrible lane discipline, and they treat you like if like they're like all want to be Formula One drivers, right? They all want to be Max Verstappen for some reason. And when you're in a Mini, uh, whether the guy behind you is in a ratty Škoda or a giant uh, truck, they will get right on your butt. The Mini has very little like street cred uh, in um, the Czech Republic or in Germany, unfortunately. I um, thought that it was actually not as bad as you were saying. But a lot less street cred than, than it should have, right? Our Mini had 300 horsepower. This thing, this well, tell them what happened when, when, the, uh, when the Volkswagen... Uh, plumbing van with the with, with the ladders on top got behind you in the unrestricted zone. Well, yeah, I mean, so basically in Germany, you drive on the right always and then yep. pass on the left. And I was cruising down the Autobahn in a very uh, desolate area, de-restricted. And we were going like in the right lane at like the equivalent of 100 miles an hour and then 110. And there was this guy in a Volkswagen Transporter, which is just kind of the, van, yeah. the work van of with, Europe. With, with, with um, ladders on the roof. Yeah. And then he came up behind me at like 100. So I'm cruising along and, and then I'm like going like 110 in the right lane. Um, and then he speeds up to 110. And then uh, I 
I pass him one in the left, go back in the right, doing like 125, 130, and he's still like right on my bumper. And then eventually he passes me at like 130 miles an hour because I ran out of cojones. But yeah, it's very common. The fastest car in the Autobahn is the Volkswagen Transporter. We see him everywhere. Do you think that same guy would do that if you were in a 911? Yes. I don't think so. That guy was just, he wasn't even racing. He was just trying to get to his home. And every Volkswagen Transporter van. I think you're going to get some deference if you're in like a 5 Series or a 911. I could not believe. Or an believe, AMG model. I could not believe in Europe how people rag these vans. I mean, this is kind of like the size of the Mercedes Metris. It's just a small work van. But be it the passenger shuttle version, every Volkswagen Transporter was full throttle, left lane of the Autobahn, doing like 130 miles an hour so, so constantly. The, you know, we were there with Mini. In the Mini world, you, you always have like three versions of the car, right? You've got this base Mini, mm-hmm. then you got the S. So let's say it's a Clubman. So the base would have, what, 200 horsepower, the S would have 250, and the JCW, John Cooper Works, would have 300, which is a boatload of horsepower for a little tiny-ass car. It's a little optimistic on your power numbers, but yeah. I'm just, I'm just I'm <laughs> paraphrasing, okay? So, so you think you get some street cred in a tiny car with 300 horsepower, but no. I felt like in Germany we did. Really? I don't think people I know. Think we I did. think Yeah, we did not get any in the Czech Republic. No, we just God, didn't no. see any of them. Also, I don't want to rag on Czech drivers too much. 80% of them were excellent. It was just like 20% that were very good. That are max for stopping on your butt, like trying to pass you over uh, a double yellow around a corner with a bicyclist. So what was your uh, third observation? Um, that their rest stops are much nicer than ours. They do have beautiful rest <laughs> oh stops. Oh, my God. The bathrooms were spotless. You have to pay for them, but they were spotless. Beautiful. And, yep, and the well-staffed um, convenience stores. Here, yeah, it was great. Here it's always a crapshoot, right? Although, every time we filled up this Mini, it was like 80 90 bucks from a quarter tank to full. So their gas prices are far more expensive than what we're looking at in the States. It was very, very expensive to keep that Mini full. Um, but, yeah, the rest stops were, were wonderful. And uh, yeah, in, in America, it could be anywhere from like a Brazilian brothel to, you know, a Vegas casino when you hit the bathroom at a gas station. It's just always terrifying. A huge thank you to Mini for loaning us this car. It was a great trip. Uh, really felt like we got to know the vehicle quite well. Uh, the space was really good. That's one thing that that the BMW uh, folks really got right with Mini is they're tall folks in Germany. And even if you're six one six two, you can put the seat all the way back and you couldn't reach the pedals. That's how much space there is in this thing. So lots of interior space. Uh, the seats were a little firm for 2,000 miles. Technology was okay. Radio was really good. And the coolest part was the speed limit indicator was so fast. So the thing about the Autobahn is everyone thinks you can go 100 miles an hour everywhere. But most of the time you're, you're doing like 120K, which is like 70 miles an hour because there's speed res- restricted zones everywhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, that speed limit indicator be it a digital speedometer uh, sign, a digital speed sign, a construction zone, or just a generic... Yeah, uh, I don't know how many figures it out. It was out. so... on the Regardless of what country we were in, we yeah. were in Austria too, you could go through a school zone, it would know it immediately. You could go through a temporary construction zone with a temporary speed limit, the car would know it immediately. Yeah, so let's it was say, so good. Let's say you do an 80 in the Czech Republic and all of a sudden you get to a town and all towns are 50, right? Mm-hmm. Um, KPH. Um, but there's construction that goes down to 30. So you think that it would know that there's construction. There. It's just temporary. It knew it. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was using cameras, and in some cases it may have been, but there were other points where like you could barely see the speed limit because it was blocked by a truck or, or a lorry or something, and it would just be right on the money with with the, the car. So that was incredible. And it was right like 99.9% of the time. I don't know what magic witchcraft was going on there, but it was really cool. All right, I'm not going to ask for permission. I'm just going to do a little... Uh, 
informational uh, tidbit here for all of you fans of TFL. As you know, we have just uh, finished airing our Go Big series over at TFL Truck. Uh, and as is our way, we are selling our uh, cheap overlanders in the condition that we put them into. In other words, uh, you know, all the upgrades and all the fixes. So what we did was we <laughs> bought the... Not many of either in this case. Well, it depends on the vehicle. So we bought the cars. <laughs> we took them to our master mechanic, Toby. We told him what was wrong with it. We fixed what was wrong with it that was critical. Some things we didn't fix that weren't critical. And then we partnered with Michelin. No, actually, it's um, Bridgestone, um, which is also Michelin. No. Rewind. We partnered with uh, B.F. Goodrich. B.F. Goodrich, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, does Michelin own B.F. Goodrich? Yes. Yes, I think so. That's yeah. why I said Michelin, yeah. Anyway, B.F.G. and put on uh, KO2s on them. So we've got brand new KO2s, took them around the White Room Trail. Uh, and now we've brought back TFL Bids, which is uh, running right now where we're selling your Suburban, Tommy. And last time I checked, uh, we paid 4000 for that car, put a couple grand into it. And right now with no reserve, it's only up to 2100 because... Um, that money is all going to a charity. Yep, it's all going to the Colorado State University Drone Center, and it's at selling for no reserve, so whatever it goes to is what it will be selling for. So if you want a slightly clapped out, but a very characterful Suburban, check out tflbids.com. Uh, we also have a very cool first-gen manual transmission off-road Kia on there, which is pretty wild. You Sorrento. Want to, you want to see that. And then next week, we're also going to be auctioning off the... Excursion. Excursion. So that'll be go ending next week. So And then um, the Cadillac, Andre's Cadillac after that. Right. So we're going to be selling a lot of vehicles uh, at TFL Bids. An easy way to get to them is just go to alltfl.com. There's a link to TFL Bids right there. Plus, it has all the reviews that we've already published of the M3, of the uh, X1, of the M8. Uh, so if you want to see those that we talked about, them, it's all at alltfl.com. So let's talk about some of the interesting news which has been going on this week. We have news. Yeah, so the Ford CEO, Jim Farley, announces the end of the dealership experience as we could know it. For electric vehicles. For electric vehicles. Yeah, so EV sales are moving to an online-only fixed-price model, which is um, a la Tesla and Rivian, right? Um, and how long will it take to rivals, uh, for rivals to follow, and is this a good move? Well, do you want me to answer all those questions? Yes, this, okay. is, uh, this is a question I'm asking you. All right, yes. first of all, let's take a step back, all right? Once again, I was listening to another podcast uh, about electric cars, uh, and they had a podcast presenter who was actually in the market for a Kona, a Kona, no, not a Kona, sorry, uh, 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 Ionic 5, mm -hmm. which uh, first editions are like $53,000, right? Uh, and she went to a lot of uh, uh, Hyundai dealerships, uh, and guess what they were asking for? Sixty. Three, 10K over. Yeah, there you go. And what do you, th what do you think she did? Probably not buy the Ionic 5. What do you think she bought? I don't know. She bought a Tesla Model Y. There you go. Because for 10K more, you can get a Tesla Model Y with a no, uh, you know, market adjustment, at least no obvious market adjustment. So I was thinking about that and I thought to myself, all these Hyundai dealers are now basically helping to sell more Teslas. I mean, that's what that's what they did. That's what the dealer did by asking 10K more. They took a customer who was ready to purchase uh, uh, a Hyundai Ionic 5 and basically sent them over to a Tesla dealer or a Tesla uh, Well, uh, yeah, well, I mean, not even a dealer. Right. Sent them to Tesla.com right. and then just, yeah, 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 they just helped sell another brand's car. That, that's mind-blowing to me. Uh, and I get that there's a lack of cars right now, but how do you stay in business doing that? Well, I mean... I mean, and how does Hyundai Corporate feel about that? Probably not great because they don't have a lot of control at the end of the day. 
of what the dealer sells their vehicle for, right? It's a very separate model here in the U.S., which is kind of foreign to some folks, but in the U.S., for the vast majority of the part, you can't buy a Hyundai from Hyundai. You have to buy a Hyundai through a dealer which acquired the Hyundai from Hyundai. And what's going to happen a year from now when we're flooded with cars again, you know, and uh, uh, all those car sales that went to Tesla that could have gone to Hyundai start to actually mean something or matter? I think it matters now anyway, but it'll even matter more then because now all of a sudden what you've got is you've converted a person from a potentially Hyundai customer to a Tesla customer. So chances are that the next pr purchase that that person makes is also a Tesla. It's mind-blowingly stupid, Tommy. Mind-blowingly stupid. So is this a good move that Ford is doing? Yeah, it's a it's a really good move, you know. Uh, um, it's going to be tricky though, and they're going to face a lot of opposition. I, from keep, I keep hearing that the I current dealer, um, uh, the current dealer model, as well as legislation, because there's a lot of legislation put in, in place that that makes it difficult for a deal or uh, an OEM to sell directly. Yeah, but to if the Rivian can do it, and if Tesla can do it, then Ford can do it. Yeah, it's not that easy. I, it's, it's not it's, quite that I, simple. I always hear that it's not that simple, but you know when things become simple. When the tire hits the pavement, when you know money starts flowing out the wrong way, then things become very clear and very simple very quickly. It's a lot cheaper to pay a bunch of attorneys to go and start you know, uh, litigating this than it is to start losing tens of millions, if not billions of dollars, because here's, here's the basic paradox that traditional manufacturers are facing, right? You can go at two in the morning in your underwear and buy a Tesla or Rivian online. And then in the case of Tesla, you could probably have it delivered. Our neighbor, right, bought a Model 3 Performance. And on the website, it said it was going to take, what, two months? He had it four days later. What's the biggest truck market in the U.S.? Ford? No, no, biggest truck. Uh, Texas. Texas. Yeah. So can I order my Cybertruck in Texas? Uh, yeah, that's another baffling yeah. one. So there you why, go. Why, why? So well, it's not quite that simple as you make it sound. Well, so. but that's okay. But that's one example. But it's a pretty big example. Every, though. Everywhere else in the country, you can do what I just said in your underwear and get a Tesla. Whereas you have to. I was listening to Consumer Reports podcast, and they were talking about like how to go and buy a new car. And they said, "Be." It's like going into battle. You have to be prepared to spend the whole day cross shopping and be no, prepared to walk yeah. out. It's just a horrible. Yeah. So, so which of those two models is going to succeed? No, I mean, it I, really is going to get to the point where companies are going to live or die by, you know, the sales experience. Yeah, you are right. The uh, the online model is my preference. But what I was trying to illustrate there is that it's not quite as simple as just saying, all right, we're going to sell all EVs online. We're going to bypass the hundreds of four dealers which are currently out there um, and just go go direct to consumer. It's not quite that simple. And there's a lot of kind of Look, there's we, a lot of there's a lot of negotiations which is going to happen. We, between we now work and then. with uh, Johnson's Auto Plaza to buy our Rams and our Jeeps, and they're great. Well, so there are some dealers they're, which add to the purchasing experience and do make your car buying experience better. And there are certainly examples of that. But there are a huge number of dealers where the salesperson is an obstruction between you and the automobile. In a lot of cases, if you're a car person, like listening to this podcast, you probably know more than the salesperson knows. Um, and it's not like they can answer the nitty, nitty gritty questions. Heck, a lot of salespeople don't even know what is on their inventory lots at any given time, what's showing up, when it's showing up. It, and then, of course, you get the dealer markups, and you get this horrible negotiation thing, which feels like something straight out of like a smoking room in the 1970s. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bad dealers out there. 
there. Now there are a lot of good ones too. Johnson's Auto Plaza is a really good one that we've used a bunch in the past. And their Look, salespeople it, it, are knowledgeable and they can help us really quickly. And this is not a commercial. They don't pay us. No. No, it's it's just our honest experience. They don't charge over sticker. They understand the value of maintaining customer relations and maintaining customer uh, experience and return business. Uh, and when a dealership model works, it's great, Tommy. It's The problem is... More often than not, the reality and the promise are two different things, right? You would you would expect that a great dealership, you walk in, you're met by a professional salesperson who understands the product inside and out, who takes your expectations and walks you through the different models and picks the best model or helps you pick the best model out for you, gives you the pros and cons, and then, you know, fill out some relatively straightforward paperwork where you're not uh, strong-armed into trying to buy extended warranties and, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, film protection and rust-proofing, yada, yada, you know, the, you know the typical dealer tricks. Uh, and then you're handed the keys to a car uh, and you drive home feeling like you've just had one of the best experiences of your life. That's the potential of a dealership. Unfortunately, all too often, especially nowadays, it's the exact opposite. Right. So, so over, over the exact opposite, I'll take the online. Well, and... Like with a good deal, you get to know your salesperson. You get to go back when it's time to make your next purchase. And they fix if it breaks, they fix it. Yeah, and there's there's some loyalty there. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, especially now that you know, ever since the market has exploded, it has illustrated the biggest problem with dealers, right? And that is their freedom to basically apply any price they want to any vehicle at any time. Right, which works out in your favor if there's a surplus of vehicles, and that that is one of the big advantages of a dealer. I mean, uh, when there's a lot of cars on the lot, the Tesla is going to be what the Tesla is going to be for the most part, right? Um, there's not a lot of negotiation there. Whereas if you're buying like a Ram 1500, when go-ins are good, oftentimes they'll throw some cash in the hood. MSRP 36, this one's going for 34, 35, or in some cases MSRP 55, this one's 45 grand, like we saw in the uh, start of COVID. But when times are bad like now, then the the market switches, and then all of a sudden it's like this car is X. Oh, now it's going to be ten thousand dollars more than the MSRP. You're you're absolutely right. And the other thing that I have to say is I'm really maybe this is a rant coming, Tommy, but I'm really getting sick of online sales. Well, I'm, you just I'm, said you liked online sales. I, I, I do like online <laughs> sales when the experience is bad, but when the experience is good. So we were just in the Hold Czech up. Republic. You like online sales when the experience is bad? When the when the regular experience is oh, bad. Oh, okay. Let me clarify that. When the, you know when you're dealing with with uh, dealer shenanigans and online sales makes it much easier. But like. I much prefer going to an Apple store than buying it online. That's just me because I want to touch and feel and I want to get the expert knowledge of the person selling it. But let me give you an example of that. We just went to a, a shopping center and shopping centers are pretty much dying in America because of Amazon. And as far as I can tell, the Germans hate Amazon. Uh, so there's not a lot of Amazon. So we went to the shopping center called Chedney Must, Blackbridge in Prague, right? Um, really cool, like old school shopping center. All indoors, lots of different stores, right? And I just I just bought this new watch. It's, and once again, not, not a commercial. It's a Garmin Solar 7X, uh, and it, it, it's it's pretty complicated. It does a lot of cool stuff, like like this. My favorite's got a little. Look at that. It's got a little. I can't turn it on. See, it's got a little flashlight built into it. Pretty cool, right? Uh, but one of the things that it does is it, it gives you a lot of information. So like your heart rate, the same stuff an Apple Watch does. The problem with it is I've got I've got uh, like my steps, the altimeter, my heart rate. Um, my battery there, but I had this one little thing on the face that said something like SR, 
and I didn't know what, what it was. I had no clue, and I had no clue how to change it. And there was a garment store uh, at the shopping center. So I go in there, and I'm like, hey, dude, the sales guy behind the desk, what's this? He goes, I don't know. And I'm, I'm like, hey, can you put the um, battery status in there? And he said, sure. And now I've got my battery status. That's very satisfying to but do. But why didn't he know what SR is? He's selling the product. I don't know why I didn't know. But the problem is I tried to Google it, and I tried to use a YouTube video to figure it out. And the only YouTube videos I got were, like, happy people running and jumping and triathloning uh, and nothing that actually told me how to change what that SR thing is or what that SR thing meant, right? So having a knowledgeable person, even though he didn't know what it was, uh, was great because that person then was able to change it uh, and, you know, get me exactly what I wanted. And it was really fun walking around, like, trying on shoes, stuff that kind of sucks online. Well, there you go. So there is an advantage to the dealer model. Oh, there's absolutely an advantage when they don't take advantage of it. Yep. All right, so next up in the news, Are you? Yeah. the seventh generation of the Mustang is set to offer a manual transmission based on some teaser image shots. How many cars do you think by in 10 years will have manual? Like well, 10? Yeah, it's going to be very few. <laughs> well, it's going to be the, the 2024 Mustang, uh, and it, it could even be like a hybrid V8, which would be pretty, pretty crazy. Um, what does this mean for the future of the Mustang? Well... I think it's cool. I mean, it, it's showing that it's still an enthusiast-branded car, and it hasn't gone total crossover on us, although the Mach-E would probably beg to differ. And then will this final Mustang generation, uh, will this be the final Mustang with the manual? Very well could be. The next one could be all electric. I hope somebody builds an electric manual. How oh, we had this argument. There's just I know. No I don't want to go back though. into it. <laughs> It'd be so cool if they built an electric car with a manual. I would love that. Why not? I know it's stupid. You, it's I like know adding it's, a manual transmission to your toaster. You know, I mean, you could. it wouldn't add to the toasting experience. No, you know what it's like? It's like adding that stop button to your toaster where you can make it pop out early no, when it's No, because burning. that serves Because a, you set it for muffin and you have toast in there. That serves a purpose. A manual transmission wouldn't serve a purpose other than to it be fun. let you have more control. No, it would not. It would not give you more just control. Just like the stop button. It would absolutely not. Or the not. bagel button. It would absolutely not give you more control. It would just make it more fun, maybe, but... Um, because why wouldn't it give you more control? Of course it would. Well, what, what more, more control do you get? You don't get any engine braking with a, with a. You could design engine braking into a manual transmission. But, well, I mean, you get you regen, could, but right, you could do like first gear gives you more regen than second. The way that it currently works, you could do that. So if you wanted, right now, if you want to pick engine braking, right, you have to select it based on like two. There's either high or low. Basically, that's all you get, right? Most uh, electric cars, you get higher low. That's I mean, it. The, the big, the big. With, with a manual, you could say like you could, you could instead of like downshifting, you just could, six different regen modes. Yeah, God, that sounds horrible. Um, the thing about the reason you need a transmission in the first place is because of the torque curves on an internal combustion right. engine, right? You have to build a torque from. How about off-roading? Wouldn't you want a no, manual? Absolutely not. From an idle situation all the way up, but an electric motor gives you a flat torque curve. You get instant torque from zero RPM. Kind of similar to a, a steam engine, actually. Steam engines make their most torque at zero RPM. Do they have manual transmissions? And, ah, they probably have transmissions. I don't know. I don't so, know steam uh, yeah, some do. Some of those tractors had like dual ranges. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe there's a purpose for off-roading, yeah. but I don't That's need six gears. I just need a high and a low. Right. And if you look at like efficiency wise, Porsche kind of nailed it with the two speed of the Taycan. All right. Let us know in the comments below, please. Would you like an electric car with the manual transmissions? And more importantly, Tommy, do steam engines have manual transmissions? You know, you can buy care. you can buy a, um, a uh, car with a manual transmission or you can build an EV with a manual transmission. So like all those EV conversions like EV West, I think it's EV West, there's a Volkswagen kit. They all just basically bolt up motor to the existing transmission 
And then you know what they tell you to do? What? They say just leave it in third. You can shift, but they're like, there's no, there's no point in shifting. So does that mean that the next Mustang won't be electric? Uh, probably not. I don't think it's rumored to be electric. I think it's rumored to be a hybrid, but not fully electric. Yeah, you know, some cars are uh, much easier uh, to convert to electric in terms of their persona than some others. And a Mustang is going to be really hard. Like Ferrari's going to have a Lamborghini. They're really going to struggle with electrification. Very true. So GM and Ford, as well as Honda, are all said to be exiting SEMA. The uh, Oh, I've got pictures of all this. After 10 years, I exited it too. There you go. There's a picture, yeah. Thanks for SEMA. Yep. I exited SEMA. I was, I was done with it. <laughs> it was like it was like COVID hell, Tommy. People from around the world, uh, all crowded together, and there's always some like old dude who's there with a bag full of stupid brochures who's moving like two miles an hour, and you can't get past him while you're in a hurry to try to get to a meeting. It's 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 actually at one point I think SEMO must have been like really cool. You know what it's like? It's like when Orange County had orange groves in it. It must have been incredible to be there. Now it's just uh, it's just like uh, like consumer hell. And I know it's not a consumer show, but somehow a lot of consumers end up sneaking in the show and it just becomes overcrowded. Uh, and it's basically who's, you know, is bigger contest. Uh, and people just build not cool cars, outlandish cars. And there's a big difference. And then you got to go try to find the cool cars among all the stupid outlandish cars and trucks. So the big question here is, are they going to be exiting auto shows as well? Because we've seen some auto shows where certain manufacturers don't attend. Are we seeing the death of the car show or the auto show? Well, it's, not, it's not the death. It's just changing. Uh, the problem with the auto show is very simple, I think, in my mind at least. Static. Right? They don't move. And now uh, the trend is going toward more experiential car shows like... A good example might be Pebble Beach, where you actually have all these things going on. So you do have static cars, but you also have, you know, different drives that you can partake in. You've got uh, classic car racing at Laguna Seca, and it becomes more of a immersive experience as opposed to a bunch of clapped out, uh, gaudy trucks with 15-inch lifts just sitting there, you know, waiting to be rolled out and then sold for some stupid number. All right. I, uh, I don't like SEMA, sir. I don't like SEMA. Okay. I, I don't. I don't see the value of it. I, well, it shows you. I'm so a lot of like engineers I, and designers specifically attend SEMA. Yeah, ten because, years ago. No, no. Even today, I, I was just talking. No, ten to, years ago, it made sense. I get it. Yeah, but even today, the reason that designers go is because it shows you the trends in customization in the aftermarket community, and then designers can see what is hot, what's coming up, and then they can well, design certain of those cues into their new production models. Wouldn't it be cool if? Uh, like they actually had uh, a lot of cool and cutting edge and interesting and thoughtful vehicles where inside people in the business were kind of showing off the latest and greatest instead of like just you know a, you know a bunch of uh, drunk Australians who spent too too much time at the casino you know strolling around the thing and clogging up every possible way of getting from one car to another and it's also too big you just can't get your like you can't get your mind around it right there's so much there it's Is almost it, like too much it's like too much choice it's not supposed to be a public show though it's it's not but it's it, supposed to be a vendor show isn't it but there are, are there that many vendors in the world i think yes, people i think absolutely. people just get into it like it, it may, may maybe you know your uh your shop guy really well and then he gets tickets and he gives them to you I don't know how all the people get into it, but yeah, it's it's a mad scene, um, and it's just it's it's gotten out of control and too big for its own good. 
All right. Well, there you have Roman's rant on SEMA. And I'm sure people love it because it's like the forbidden fruit. Like you, you want to get there, so you see all this cool. But like I said, just because something is lifted with giant wheels and tires and, you know, bagged doesn't make it cool. It just makes it big and lifted and stupid. All right. Well, that is one very vibrant opinion. So They're cool things. Sir. They're really cool things. What, at SEMA, but you can't find the tree among the forest. Well, what else do we have going on in the last few minutes here? So we've got a couple of fun events going on. I'm going to go to Palm Springs, California to drive the all-new Bronco Raptor, which is the insane Raptor on the huge tires and the wide-body kit and the crazy orange color. So I'm very excited to experience that in the uh, California desert. And then you are off to go check out the lyrics right the electric cadillac yeah yeah and I, we can announce it here uh we have a lightning tommy well it's built yet our lightning has been built okay uh and i'm gonna go pick it up hopefully on thursday with andre and we're gonna be the we're gonna try to be the first to road trip it uh all the way back from uh detroit to colorado so we're gonna see what it's like to road trip a lightning we're gonna be uh doing a video series uh where we're gonna be driving it to where tommy um, the I'm farthest northern place in North America, which is Prudhoe Bay. There you go. Yep. So, so we're going to uh, be doing an epic road trip with it, trying to drive the first electric truck all the way up to Prudhoe Bay. Maybe we're not the first, but we're going to say we are because I don't know of anybody else who's done it. Uh, and then we're also going to be geocaching stuff like T-shirts and belt buckles to bring you guys along on the trip. Uh, and so uh, stay tuned for those videos. And so we're going to be doing the produced videos, right, the, the more um, – interesting ones like the towing videos and the range test over a TFL truck. Uh, but we're going to be doing kind of the daily updates over at TFL Now. The best way to get both of those is just go to alltfl.com. Yep, and then Andre is going to go drive the Escalade V this week, which is, I think, very cool. It's the new 600-plus horsepower Cadillac SUV. You're going to go drive the electric Cadillac, which is pretty, pretty wild. They have two different offerings, one fully electric and one with a massive V8. We've got the Hyundai Kona N at the office, just did a video on the Kia Sportage, and then it's going to be truck week this week as we got all sorts of half-ton trucks coming in for a lot of testing from General Motors, from Toyota. Um, we've got a long-term Ford uh, power boost, which we're, we're playing with recently, so lots of cool stuff going on. Yeah, and then uh, we're not sure whether we're going to be trading in our TRX or selling it. Uh, Andrew just put up a video saying that we're selling it. So once again, at alltfl.com. So if you are interested in buying our TRX, uh, let us know. Uh, we've already got an offer from the dealership, I think, for $82,000 as a trade-in. Uh, those things are selling, unfortunately, for, or fortunately, depending if you're selling one like us, over 90 to 100K um, because, well, there's no trucks available. And you know, Tommy, I, you know, I kind of did a bit of a rant on the dealership model, but I think um, the dealers are also experiencing a a pretty bad time. I think initially it was like, hey, we can sell things at over market. Uh, but now I keep driving by these dealerships and they have no inventory. It's got to be frustrating as all hell sitting in a dealership with like, you know, three trucks and two Jeeps parked in front. That's all you got to sell. That's got to be that's got to be pretty uh, boring and terrifying at the same time. Don't you think? Yes. If you're a dealer, let us know. What's it like? I would love to do a story. What's it like working at a re dealership where maybe what you're selling are uh, used cars out of the auction or trade-ins? Um, but certainly, you know, every truck and car that you've got coming to the door has already been spoken for, right? I mean, that's probably what's happening. Most people are pre-ordering these vehicles and they're just picking them up. So you're just kind of handing over keys and saying good luck. All right, well, let us know what you think in the comments section below. This has been a fun hour of podcasting, and we will see you on the next TFL Talk podcast. 
See you next time. And remember, uh, TFL bids if you want Tommy's. Uh, is it clapped out, Tommy, the Suburban? Very much so. Yeah. I agree. It's clapped out. But it's cheap. And it, I mean, mechanically, it's good, right? We'll go with it. No, no, it is good. We had our mechanic <laughs> take a look at it. So the driver's door needs to be slammed hard to close. And, you know, the back. It's pretty t- good, yes. The, the pretty, back barn door doesn't quite tip. close. But for $2,500, come on. All right, we'll see you on the next podcast. Ciao. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.